You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people that have been here before us, those who lived well, those who died well, those who met the challenges of their time, innovated, healed, grew, and moved on to be the medicine that their own time needed. I call out to these ancestral helping spirits to be with us here today, to bring the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines, to be present with us here today that we might lean in on that energy and draw it forward in a way that supports us to meet the challenges of our own time and to, the, and to become the medicine that our time is calling out of us. And I ask you all to reach past the humans who have been here in such a short time, relatively speaking, to those ever older ancestors in their many forms, all of life here on earth, and to reach out to those ancestors who are not of human form and ask them to stand with us as well. Help us to surrender more fully into our own true nature to turn our attention away from the distractions and the shiny things and the constant movement of our time and to focus in on that which aligns us with all other life here on earth and to remember how human beings can be a blessing to all of life and put some energy and some time and some devotion into being that kind of human. And so we ask all of these ancestors to gather around us here today. And as they gather, let us gather ourselves from wherever it is that we might be into our head, with the next breath from our head down into our hearts, and with the next breath from our hearts down into our bellies. And from our bellies, let's take a moment and reach down to touch the earth. And take a moment to give thanks for this day. Gratitude for your life for the journey that has brought you here, for all that is in this moment and all that will be. Gratitude for the beauty and the diversity and the generosity in the earth's dreaming that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And for all the beauty and the wonder of life, let the gratitude flow from our hearts as we move our energy down through all the layers of the earth, reaching deeply to the very center of the earth and anchoring our energy firmly there. As we connect into the earth, let us open our hearts and our minds to those energies whose power exists in the stillness, in the darkness, in the cool simplicity of that which is before all the abundance here on earth, that which is before all that refreshes and replenishes and renews and nourishes. And let us reach with our hearts deeply into that energy and begin to draw it up, drawing it up into our day, into our life, 
into our bodies, into these proceedings. We call up this energy that can teach us how to be manifest in form in a good way. We call up that which nourishes and restores us, that which refreshes our soul and replenishes our body. We call these energies up into our lives. And may these earth energies help us to understand who we are, where we stand, and what we stand for. And to build our sense of home and hearth from these things that have heart and meaning. Not just the expectations and the habits of the past, but what truly has heart and meaning for you in this day. Let our home be built on these energies and let our door be open to those who are different than we are. And may we call these people in, setting a place at our table, and invite their ideas that we might be provoked through connection with others to become the men and women we were really meant to be in this life. And with the energy of the earth moving through us, may we come into better relationship internally with aspects of ourself, right relationship with our environment, right relationship with the other life in our environment, and right relationship with the invisible world and all of the beings in all of these realms. And as we come into right relationship with these energies and learn how to connect and interconnect, may we have a moment of blessing to feel our place in this great web of life. And take our right relationship with ourself from this knowing. And let us draw the energy of the earth up. All of its connection and interconnection and interrelationship. Let us draw it up into our heart and mind. Up and out the top of our head into the sky, the atmosphere and the cosmos. Moving all the way out, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe. By whatever name you call these energies, connect with them, see yourself in them, see them in you, and call these radiant energies down. Drawing in the essence energy of blessing, drawing in protection, the benevolence of our whole universe, we call this energy in. We call in the capacity for devotion and commitment. We reach out to the beneficence of our universe, drawing this energy in and calling in inspiration and illumination. We call these energies in from the radiant energies above and allow them into our bodies and send them down all the way to the center of the earth. And in this way, we have the energies above and below, earth and sky, coming together in union within us. And in that big love of these two great legendary beings, may the spirit of our own heart be awakened. And with that big love moving through our heart and the love of our own heart beginning to move, let us Bring that crucible of transformation that exists in the heart online and to draw up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these two energies so different in their qualities move together in a dynamic tension that will give birth to this third and most important thing. Some sense, some memory, some inkling, some awareness in some way of why it is that you are here. And may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts out and make them manifest in the world. And for the unbelievable amounts of helping spirits that we have to assist us in these efforts, I give great thanks. And I also want to give thanks to the people, Marissa and Madeline, Craig, Nancy, Catherine, Chad, Nirmala, and all of those who have been able to donate to the show financially. 
For those of you that are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. It runs entirely on the donations of people like you who gain something from the show and thus give something back. And so I ask you if the show is meaningful to you in any way, if it brings you excitement or new ideas, um, irritation, um, agitation, some sort of movement in your heart, know that you have been moved. And please do that most central of shamanic actions, which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com dot com access hundreds of hours in the archives for free and also go to that support button and donate any amount large or small in any currency we are grateful for all of it because it all goes directly to keeping the show out um, in the internet land and free for those who can access it anywhere in the world for those of you that are not able to donate financially Please understand there are many, many resources that we have to bring to bear on the world and there are many things that you can do. So be creative. Find a way to do something that allows you to grow, allows the ideas of the show to grow within you and your life and begins to help to touch others in the world in a good way. So for whatever you can do that helps the show to grow, I give great thanks. So today we're continuing in this series about um, uh, talking more deeply about different kinds of helping spirits that we access through our various shamanic um, working states of awareness. And so today our topic is working with the spirits of the land with Anna Laramendi. Welcome, Anna. Hello. Welcome. Wonderful to be on board again. Yeah, welcome back. So for those of you that don't know, Anna has spent her life weaving together her spirituality with nature skills to create a skill set of tools for land healing and teaching students to detect and heal earth trauma. Of Spanish and Basque ancestry and born in Spain, Anna is a full-time shamanic teacher and healer at The Hollow Bone. And that's also her website, everyone. She's in private practice in Madison, Wisconsin. And she offers a full range of shamanic healing forms, space clearing, and various land healing practices, and also offers a range of shamanic coursework, including her Earth Tenders Apprenticeship, which we talked about in the previous show with Anna. So you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, uh, look in the guests, click on Anna's name, and there's the show. Um, and this is an apprenticeship for somewhat more advanced practitioners. Um, Anna's been studying shamanic traditions since 1989 and is an international teacher of shamanic healing practices. She's a minister, public speaker, vision quest leader, wilderness enthusiast, ceremonialist, chef, translator, and an initiated mesa carrier in the Inca tradition. Anna has studied extensively with teachers from many shamanic tra traditions around the world, in, in addition to studying six years with Tom Brown, uh, junior of the Tracker School, um, where she learned tracking, survival, and wilderness awareness skills. And we have a number of resources um, that Anna offered us generously on her show page. So if you go again to whyshamanisnow.com, go to Anna Lara Mendy, and click on her show, the first show, um, about working with the earth, all of the resources are listed there. And they're um, quite extensive. So just scroll down and click and and find happiness <laughs> anyway so you can um contact anna at uh, through her website at thehollowbone.com um we're not live today but you can certainly reach out to either one of us either anna through her website or me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org okay 
So as we said, we had Anna on as a guest in March to share her work uh, with the earth in clearing and restoration and deep facilitation of a return to right relationship with the earth. Anna's Earth Tenders Apprenticeship is unparalleled in the training it offers practitioners in developing awareness and skills that are applicable to a broad range of situations requiring earth healing interventions in our modern times. Um, In that show, we didn't have time to talk about different earth spirits um, of, of the, which have a huge range and so I've invited Anna back um, to share her wisdom and experience as part of this particular series where we're talking about these different types of helping spirits and um, how you might work with them. So Anna, so my first mm-hmm. question is what does something need to be like what qualities does it need to have to be considered a spirit of or energy of the earth? Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, um, Well, I would say that, um, okay, going back to the paradigm of what those of us trained in core shamanism are familiar with. So we have an upper world, which is sort of the realm where the angelic types of spirits are, and we have a lower world, which is sort of the the spirits from deep within the earth are animal allies and those helping spirits. And we have a middle world and middle world is the spiritual overlay of where we are now. It, it's, it's present in real time, but the, the, the in seen and unseen spirits and presences that are um, their spiritual essence in this um, realm where we live. And, you know, earth spirits, I mean, in some ways you would, you could even say that our power animals are types of earth spirits because they come from the earth. Their, their whole evolution has evolved from, from mother earth. And so in a sense, they're sort of earth spirits, um, but they're the sort of the compassionate um, divine beings that um, are holding collective knowledge um, in the earth realm. And the other types of earth spirits that we really work with a lot, certainly in earth healing, are middle world earth spirits. And middle world earth spirits is, has a broad range of different types of beings. It can be anywhere from the elemental beings, the sprites that are um, living around a spring, and those are water elemental spirits that um, are very much a part, they're water energy, they work with water energy, and um, they oversee the, the well-being and the function of a particular spring. Um, there are spirits of trees. You could have the spirit of a tree. You can also have the spirit that oversees that species of tree. So there is the, um, the, the spirit of the oak, Let's say it's a burr oak, which is a common prairie-type oak from the Midwest. And you could also have the overlighting spirit of the oak, which, uh, of the burr oak, which would be the spirit that oversees how oaks, the, that particular type of oak grows and functions and sort of holds the blueprint of how burr oaks grow and what kind of places they can grow in. So there's layers and layers and layers of spirits on the earth sphere. Those spirits can be of elements, of water, of earth, of fire, of air. Those spirits can also be 
spirits of a place, spirits of um of a mountain or a rock formation or a grove of trees. Um, spirits of the land can be the spirit that oversees a particular, has sort of dominion over a region of area. So when we think of spirits of place and we think of spirits of the land, the diversity of those spirits is as expansive as the diversity of the biodiversity of the planet. It's not, um, you know, we tend to in shamanism work at focusing on power animals, for example, and, um, and yet there's a tremendous um, collective wisdom in many different types of beings. But the beings of the middle world are sort of, um, the term is amoral, not to be confused with immoral. Amoral meaning they don't have, they function in a very present state. They operate um, on, a, um, their functionality is about supporting the being that they are energetically entwined with. So the spirit of a tree, for example, the spirit of that tree's function is to support the growth and energy of that how that tree grows. So if the tree has another tree nearby that's blocking sunlight, the spirit of the tree is going to uh, put energy into growth happening in the areas where that tree touches sun and having that tree grow away from where there is shade so that the tree may grow in a sort of twisted form, but its its form is to reach the sun that it needs for its growth process. And it may guide the roots to grow in a place where there's extra moisture or extra places to anchor. And so that tree spirit, its job description is not about right or wrong or good or bad. That tree's job description, the spirit of that tree's job description is to help that tree grow as vibrant as it can in that place in relation to all of its surroundings. And so when we start looking at nature spirits, we're realizing that these are very, very, very complex and evolved beings, but they don't respond to us with the kind of consciousness, the collective consciousness that, for example, our power animals might you know, I kind of refer to power animals as earth angels. So they're the, they're they're sort of of the angelic realm. They're compassionate beings. They have a sense of right and wrong, but they're they're holders of collective wisdom. Whereas elemental beings, if you think of the elemental being of like, um, a, of like a lily, um, a water lily. That water lily has a very limited life cycle, for example. It may grow several seasons and each, and then when it dies off, its energy returns to the earth and then it comes back up and grows again. So its, its expansiveness of awareness is very limited, and yet it serves a very important function in its relation to everything that's around it and how it helps the soil and the river and, and how it collects um, debris and it helps um, uh, helps all the microbes in the water. So everything has a very interrelated impact in the middle world. But it's these beings are not necessarily the ones that teach us um, wisdom and healing practices so much as they teach us about being present. Because middle world nature spirits are all about 
being in the present moment. They don't look into the future or the past. They're about the here and now. And so one of the problems that we have in communicating with nature spirits is we tend to approach them in this sort of anthropocentric way of we're wanting them to talk to us like we talk. And we may have conversations with our upper world spirits or our our lower world animal spirits. But when we're communicating with the nature spirits, this is a whole different realm. And a lot of times the way that we're communicated, that they communicate with us, is through signs and symbols and omens and feelings and sensations. One of our problems is we try and language things from a human, anthropocentric perspective. And this is not how the natural world really communicates. It's communicating on this whole other energy level. And if we want to communicate on that energy level, we have to stop being human. We have to take a moment and wild ourselves and become um, become an energy rather than um, a human being. And it's through that exchange of energy that communication starts happening. So, Anna, why do you, in your experience, like what's your sense of why they would bother to communicate with us? Well, you know, in, in, in indigenous times, in indigenous cultures, um, it was humans really understood, first of all, that their survival depends on right relationship with Mother Earth. And that we can do things because we are mobile, because we have hands. Marco Bogachnik would say that that nature spirits are fascinated by human hands because we have this unique ability to manipulate and move and touch and change things. Um, and we're able to help them. And us helping them enables them to help us. I mean, we're dependent on the plants for our food. Um, long before there was agriculture in the formal sense that we know now, you know, humans were, as hunter-gatherers were very mindful about how you gathered your food. You know, you would make sure that you didn't strip a region entirely of an edible plant source, but you would gather the plant in such a way that if you would replant it, that you would help it, that you might help it grow in other areas. So the plants could use humans or be in relationship with humans in a positive way that humans helped their propagation. You know, if you were at a spring, for example, that was flowing sluggishly, if you knew how to communicate with that spring, that spring may indicate to you that there are some rocks that fell and are blocking its opening, and that if you move some of those rocks and you clear the area around that, the spring is going to start flowing much more um much more fully and by flowing more fully it's supporting other animals and it's supporting other plant life because the water is able to come out more with ease and so nature has a tremendous um benefits a lot from us being in relationship with it as long as we're understanding of how we help it helps it grow and it in turn feeds us it's a reciprocal relationship it's part of the i 
So what's happened in modern cultures is that, first of all, we've stopped revering the Mother Earth, and we've become, you know, in in Christianity, you know, the language in the Bible is about, you know, human having dominion over the earth. And I believe that that was a mistranslation, because I believe that originally we're supposed to be um, stewards of the earth, not and stewardship is very different than dominion. But in the concept of dominion, we feel like we can just take from the earth whatever we want without any recognition of what that giveaway of the earth is doing for us. And so, you know, part of the destruction that we have on the planet is that we take and we take and we take and we don't give back. In indigenous cultures, there was always the concept of giveaway. You always gathered things in a mindful way. You, you know, if you were going to make a, a bow for an arrow, you didn't go and find the straightest, best sapling to make that bow. You would, you would wander the woods and you would pray and you would ask for a sapling that was perhaps in a, in a tight grove that couldn't grow very well and had really tight growth rings to be the giveaway for your bow so that you can hunt for your people. And you would spend a great deal of time contemplating and meditating and praying that, that that plant that's going to be your bow will show itself to you. And so instead of harvesting a bunch of different um, saplings and then just seeing which one works best, they may only harvest one or two. And so, again, that mindfulness about not taking anything without reverence, without respect, and always making an offering, be it of tobacco or of coca leaves in Peru, or but there's always, you know, a reciprocal relationship going on, and we've lost that. So you know, I'll share a little story. Um, mm-hmm. When I, I I've been uh, for almost thirty years, you know, doing these uh, retreats from the four-year training at all these different retreat centers around the United States. And one of the things in the, you know, first, first part of the first year is to teach people to connect with the helping spirits and to connect with nature around them. And we were at this one retreat center we'd never been at before. It was a beautiful, beautiful center. But in reality, it was just a tiny little teardrop of undeveloped land in the middle of the suburbs of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And it was this tiny little green space where if you, you know, Google mapped up, it would just be sprawl as far as you could see in any direction. And it was the first place that I went to. Plus, it's also on the East Coast. There's been a lot of people drawing energy from that part of North America for a long time without the remembering of how to give back, right? And so I tune into the Spirits of the Land. I make my offerings. I ask for the permission to work there, and we're granted permission to work there. And then um, I ask about, um, you know, how to be in relationship with them. And they just said flat out, we have absolutely nothing to give that all these people living all around us and giving nothing back are drawing on our energy because we're the only natural energy for miles and miles yeah. with, with hundreds and hundreds of people and say, and they said, so we need you to sing to us. Yeah. Right. And I was right. really um, shocking actually, because we're taught, you know, largely through core shamanism that this energy is all available to us. All we have to do is ask. It's like, wow, it's not that simple. 
not that simple. No, yeah. not that yeah. simple. So and, how you know, do, oh, and permission ahead. is a really important part. You know, we take without even asking in the first place if we can take something. You know, there's this um, in arrogance and ignorance that's been bred into us in our culture that nature is just a thing without having, we've lost the remembering of how, what level of consciousness there is in nature. Yeah. So how do we begin to cultivate um, good relationship with the spirits of the land? Well, you know, part of it is, you know, all relationships are reciprocal. And so when we we can break it down into a very simple primary thing to think of, which is just like our friendships, our friendships are built from regular visitation, hanging out with our friends, um, doing things for them, they do things for us, and that's how we build a relationship of trust with a person. And nature spirits are not all that different from that. Um, they, they want to be recognized, they want to be seen, they want to be treated with respect. Um, the key things that most um, are most important in this relationship building is um, permission, asking, you know, can I hang out with you? <laughs> uh, love, gratitude, appreciation, respect. And these things are the building blocks of all relationship building. One of the things that I found is that, you know, in North America, it's been a long, long time since humans talked to the nature spirits. And as a result, you know, if you get, if a friend ignores you long enough, you pretty much kind of give up on them and and stop bothering with them. And so when I have gone to places in nature, and I find that the places I'm most drawn to tend to be places that have very little human activity. If you're going to a state park, you want to get off the trail way back into the gnarled, hidden nooks that nobody goes to because those are the places where the nature spirits have not sort of gone into sort of a shielding type of, of behavior or response to humans. And, and what I find is that um, being very still and practicing awareness is a very important first step because our rapid motion, just hiking through a trail in a park uh, we move really, really fast, and we really overlook all sorts of things. So slowing down is a huge, huge part of it. In Tom Brown's tracker school, in some of the classes, at least three times a day, he would send us out to a sit spot that we would sit in silence for an hour, and we would just be in awareness and observance. And what happens if you if you just simply choose a sit spot in nature and you go there on a regular basis is that there becomes a familiarity between yourself and the spirits around you and the nature around you, the birds that live in that area, the 
the chipmunks or the squirrels start recognizing that you're a regular visitor and you become a part of the landscape, which makes you more approachable and, you know, you're, you're giving them your attention. The other thing is in that, in sitting in silence in a sit spot, a lot of times what I do is I just, in my heart, I just say, you know, I love you. You're beautiful. Um, I so appreciate you and showing appreciation and opening your heart energy because the spirits don't hear our words, but they feel the energy that radiates from us. So if we're in a crabby mood, the walls, that veil of communication is going to be kind of thick and it's going to be blocked. But if we move into a place of saying a prayer, um, asking permission, um, thinking about things that bring love to our heart, and then going into that heart space and just expressing gratitude and appreciation so our heart energy opens up more and more, that starts thinning the veil. That starts opening the walls and the, and creating a space where communication can happen. And one of the things that's very important to understand in nature communication is we may want to, to think and communicate in words because that's the language we're used to as humans, but nature communicates through energy, feeling, um, uh, visualization, visualizing, um, visualizing your spirit hugging a tree, you know, and or sitting at the base of the tree and imagining that your auric field expands out and wraps around the tree in this very loving, gentle way. These are the kinds of things that the nature spirits really, really respond to, and. And that regular visitation is part of the befriending, is part of building an alliance. And oftentimes what they do is they reciprocate to us in the way of signs and omens. So there's a vast communication network happening in the natural world. And so if, you know, if you've been visiting, let's say you've been sitting at the base of some beautiful oak tree, and you've been visiting that tree maybe just once a week or once every other week, but that's an awful lot considering most of us don't even bother to do that. And let's say you're visiting that tree, and every time you visit that tree, you sit at the base of it and you open up your heart to it and you express your love and you just go into that big heart space and you're just talking, even if you're just talking, just saying how beautiful the tree is and you're observing the different details about the tree and getting to know all the the different ways that the branches reach out and the, the different animals that you've been noticing around that tree. And, and so, you know, one day, let's say you're just, you're just saying to yourself, your mind's wandering a little bit and you're thinking, you know, I, I wish, I wish I knew what to do about um, some particular problem or dilemma that you're having in your life. You're just sitting with your tree just having your thoughts, and all of a sudden, this acorn drops and lands on your head. <laughs> and you real, and you pick up the acorn, and you look at the acorn, and you notice that there's like some, some sort of, um, let's say it's a, some sort of insect or something has sort of carved like this S shape into 
the side of that acorn. And you realize that the answer to your question is, um, is you know, you're wondering, there's somebody I need to talk to about this dilemma I'm having at work. And this acorn drops on your head, and it's got this S carved on the side of it. And you realize the S is the name of um, a confidant, a person you really trust at work that you know has a lot of wisdom. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this oak tree just bopped me on the head with this acorn that has this S scribed on the side of it by a, some sort of insect. And this is how the nature spirits communicate. There's this vast network that they're hearing and feeling. We build a relationship with them. They're, they're sensing us and they have this knowing and the spirits work with the are working with that tree and and create just the timing for that peculiar little omen to like drop out of the sky so to speak and land on your lap ultimately of course it's up to you to interpret that but you know nature spirits speak to us in signs and omens and they are inter the the elemental beings are kind of working the landscape to create just that hawk that happens to fly by at the right moment or that chickadee that that lands on um on a branch right in front of you or the the snake that suddenly um comes out from the grasses in front of you stops in front of you and just starts hanging out with you for no reason whatsoever all of these things are how nature communicates with us. And so if we're expecting language, we often are missing all of these different ways that they're trying to get the message across because they can't talk. A lot of times we're interpreting something, and how much of that interpreting of them talking to us is our own wishful interpretation and how much of it is that there's been a translator in the spirit world that is taking the energy from a tree and putting it into words for us. But the, the connection to the natural world comes from really opening up your field to a whole level of perception, feeling, and sensing that we tend to be so much in our heads, we don't go into that feeling sensation. We're not in our bodies, we're in our heads all the time. And we have to be in our bodies, we have to be embodied and energized and letting our love flow out in order to really reach these beings. And they respond to us enormously, especially if we've been visiting them regularly. They respond to to our love and our gratitude. So is is there a way that the that it sort of ups the ante or something when we start talking about um spirits of the land that are that are getting as you said those that have dominion over an entire region you know enormous snow-capped mountain you know aspects of the earth that are getting so much bigger than we are <laughs> we wonder if they would even notice us visiting you know does it up the ante somehow uh for how we stay in right relationship with them um well yeah actually it does um so you know, I have um, I've traveled to Peru quite a number of times, I, and um, my 
my primary teacher is an Alto Messiah named Alto, uh, Adolfo Tito Cumbatori. And Alto Messiahs in the Peruvian tradition, the thing that they are able to do that they're sort of the highest level medicine person in that um, shamanic tradition. And one of the things they're able to do is that they have built such a strong relationship with the mountain spirits that they're, they do these, I call them sort of, um, the, mountains, the mountain spirits are referred to as apukuna, apus. And the ultimate Messiahs have these, I call them apu seances, so to speak, where you gather in a darkened room and there's all these offerings on the table, flowers, beer, soda, um, medicine stones, and the Altus Mosaic does a series of, of chants and calling and invocation. And if the mountain spirits are um, so inclined, they will appear in the space. And they appear, they don't necessarily have physical form, but they appear, their energy essence is so strong that they're actually able to talk. And when I say talk, it's not like you're journeying and having a conversation. It's like somebody's in front of you talking. So this non-corporal spirit that starts speaking. And these are pretty hefty spirits. They come into the room, um, which sounds like an eagle or some huge bird flying in, and they land on the altar and they start speaking. And they, um, and they give advice. They help the Alta Messiah in determining uh, cures for a client who has an illness that nothing is responding to. Or they will give guidance if there's a conflict in the village that doesn't seem to be resolved. They're sort of the spirits of last resort that you call because they expect you to be able to figure out most of this for yourself. And when it's beyond you is when you ask for their help. And I remember I'd been in a number of these ceremonies, and at first they were so surreal. I thought somebody's got to be making this up. This can't, this can't be real. But after having a number of pretty, um, let's just say, experiences that made it absolutely real to me, the next line of questions I started asking was, "Well, what are these mountain spirits? I mean, they're not upper world spirits." They're not lower world spirits. Um, these are like these monstrous middle world spirits. And and I realized that, you know, mountains have been here for billions of years. They are, uh, by virtue of having presided over a landscape for so long, they have accumulated a kind of wisdom and staying power that plant forms and animal forms don't have because we have you know, limited life cycles. Whereas mountains being made of stone and of the earth are uh, beings that continue on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and that they are like the elders of the earth. And... They are, um, they're sort of like your loving grandfather who can be extraordinarily wise, but they don't put up with bad human behavior. And they will, they will say, you know, why are you doing this? This is harming yourself. Why, you know, why are you doing that? You should be more in service. You should, you know, 
this pattern of, of how you're living is not serving you. So they're very invested in us as humans doing our best and the kind of offerings that one makes to be in right relationship with the mountain spirits is much more elaborate than the kind of offerings you would make to a tree, for example. And so these ceremonies, you know, involved making despachos, which are a, a type of offering that's very um, traditional throughout Peru. These are elaborate sort of mandalas that are made on large sheets of paper, and they're made with hundreds of ingredients of seeds and dried fruits and grains and flowers, and every ingredient is blessed and blown into and prayed over. And then once the um, that mandala has been assembled, that paper is folded up and then it's offered to a, in a fire to the spirits. And so these elaborate offerings are very much a part of being in right relationship with the mountain spirits. So that sense of reciprocity, they want to see that you're really making an effort to engage with them and engaging with them in more than just a sort of hi, how are you sort of way, but in in going into deep prayer and deep meditation, spending hours of time in that, making elaborate offerings that, you know, in a poor country like Peru, those offerings are very, very expensive. It could be several days of work to have the money to pay for what the ingredients in those offerings cost. So these are a very different type of being that is very much a part of that culture. And I realize this, too, is a middle-world spirit, but it's a middle-world spirit by virtue of having existed on the planet for such a long period of time. It's This middle-world spirit has accumulated volume of knowledge and wisdom and understanding of witnessing humans and having been there long before the humans ever came, and and caring for and advising and guiding the humans. And they, of course, have a perspective that we don't have because they've watched us from before the time we were even on the planet. So, you know, different cultures rever different things. You know, it's interesting in Peru, they don't really have power animals or... Um, the spirit helpers like we think of it that we're used to in core shamanism or, or in North America or um, Northern European uh, cultures, they have mountain spirits that are their guides. So instead of having a power animal, you have a mountain spirit that is your benefactor and who watches over you. And all, most often in the villages in the mountains of the Andes, the mountain that oversees you or is your guiding mountain is the mountain that would be closest to your village or over, overlooking your village. And so regular offerings were being made to that mountain to be in right relationship to that mountain, and different mountains had different job descriptions. And so that whole culture is based on working with mountain spirits rather than power animals or spirit teachers and yet these mountain spirits are these powerful middle world spirits. They're not an upper world or lower world being. They are a middle world being. And and those mountain spirits definitely have their opinions about how humans should be. But they're also very compassionate. They, they will sometimes um, put us through very, very big tests, but they say, 
You know, we do this because we want you to be strong. We want you to have wisdom. We want you to do good. So, go on. I was just going to say that relationship sounds very similar. It's it's like a it's a dominating um, being where these people live their everyday life, just like the Amazon is a dominating being for people that live deep in the rainforest. And exactly. And when you look at shamanism around the world, you realize that the different how they do things has a lot to do with the geography they are originally Absolutely. from and the, and the really big dominating characteristics of that of that region and, and basically who they have to be with and to learn yeah. from yeah exactly exactly yeah. yes in the mountains of peru when you're getting at those altitudes there's not a lot of trees you know there's a lot <laughs> less vegetation so who are you going to relate to? You know, your, your medicine bundle is made up of stones that come from these sacred mountains. And the pilgrimages to the mountains are part of your spiritual path and your spiritual work. If you're in the Amazon jungle, everything's about plant medicine because that is the, the predominant energy, that and the river. The river is a very powerful being. So landscape absolutely dictates the practices of a shamanic culture wherever they are in the world and who they're relating to, and who they're praying to, and who they build their relationships with. So would you say, um, I don't, are there cautions, um, or um, things human beings tend to do relative to this type of spirit? That's just a bad idea. <laughs> so any cautions, well, working, especially these larger energies? Well, you know, the, the, these beings, um, <laughs> these beings are very. There's a whole range of different answers I can give to that. So first of all, remembering that land work is middle world work, and we know that the middle world work is also the place of ghosts and uncrossed over souls and not so pleasant beings. Uh, we, of course, have to be careful that we really want to work with compassionate beings of the middle world. And I think using the word compassionate is sort of the, the, the qualifier here to pay close attention to. So, you know, when I find people getting themselves into trouble is... Um, Marco Bogachnik tells a very interesting story about when he was in his earlier days of doing his um, land healing work. He'd been given this vision of making these these columns of lithopuncture, he calls it, he was using um, carved stone spikes, large carved stone spikes, that he would um, uh, stick into the ground in areas that were... Um, like meridians on the earth, and this would be opening up meridians in the earth, and he was tracking where meridians needed to be opening, being opened to flow the energy of the earth. And he found initially that he felt that this just needed to be done, and so he was sometimes trespassing on people's private properties because he had detected an area that needed to have one of these 
spikes put in to open up the, the energy centers. And he started going around and doing his lithopuncture all over the place. Well, it didn't take too long before he started getting really, really sick, started having these horrible nightmares, and went through this sort of dark night of the soul. And that what he realized was in his arrogance of thinking that he could go anywhere and do anything, you know, and I've heard of people like, you know, well, we need to save the earth, so I'm going to, I'm setting up crystal grids all over the place. Well, without having asked permission, really asked permission of land, and secondly, not asked permission of the owners of the land, he was really using his, he was overriding um, without permission the energies of the place. And by doing that, actually what's happening is he was attracting dark energies to him because the darker energies are drawn to those of us who abuse power. And this is a type of power abuse. And so when we arrogantly think that we can just do anything anywhere without permission, without having healthy boundaries, what happens is we may not be messing with bad spirits in the place that we're doing that work, but we haven't gotten the proper permission. What we're doing is we're showing um, an abuse of power and a disregard. And that abuse of power and disregard starts attracting to us spirits that like people who abuse power with disregard. And so what Marco started realizing in this dark night of the soul is that he had attracted um, and was becoming possessed by these darker energies. And while that wasn't what he had been working with on the land, because of his abuse of his power, he had magnetized himself energies that were not good at all and and were creating havoc in his life. I mean, he's starting to have health problems. He's, as I said, nightmares, all these these torturous things, you know, cr- starting to have chronic bad luck. And so we have to be really, really aware that being impeccable in our actions, being mindful of permission, and sometimes places just don't want to be bothered. And the answer is no. If you're not getting a really clear sense of permission, no means no, no matter how much you think you're helping. And this is one of the problems that a lot of people have. When we are unhealed ourselves, we project our woundedness onto a place. Oh, that place is suffering so much. I have to rescue it. If I don't rescue it, who will? And timing and permission and all of these things play an extremely important role in doing this type of work with integrity and proper ethics. And as Marco's story illustrates, when we override that, we're actually, and we're, imposing our will on some place without honorably having built a relationship and gotten that permission, we're doing a type of sorcery. We may not think that it's sorcery, but it is a kind of sorcery. And that dark sorcery, that abuse of power, attracts a type of energy that's not what we really want to have in our lives. So part of being of spiritual hygiene is you know, doing our personal work of being really clear about what's ours and what's not ours and 
and really following a strict protocol of, of ethics and permission. So what would you say then for the person who is um, who, who believes that you know Gaia, which is even bigger than the mountain spirits you were describing, is personally communicating her very human-like pain to this person all the time, and that's why they can't get out of bed and do anything because they're just overwhelmed by the suffering of the earth. So how could that person <laughs> begin to transform? Like, so what is that relationship? And how could they transform that kind of steps they could take to ultimately actually be in service of the earth? Well, I think, um, you know, here we're, we're, we're starting to talk about mental health issues, plain and simple. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's your stuff. If you think, I mean, we're doing all these things to the earth, but the earth is constantly self-correcting and constantly rebalancing. She is completely in control here, whether we can see that or not. When we start looking at, at, you know, things done to the landscape and we're horrified and, you know, Gaia's screaming out in pain, you know, we're, we're projecting our own wounds onto her. Yeah, you know, uh, mountaintop mining where you're just leveling out a whole mountaintop is a pretty destructive thing that's happening. And there's karma with that. And that karma is really a karma that's going to have to be dealt with by the owners of that mine and the people working in that mine. But Gaia has ways of self-correcting and it may not happen right now but it eventually happens there is always a rebalancing and so first of all we have to heal our wounds and stop projecting our stuff onto the mother earth she's actually fine (laughs) Um, it may not look like it you know, we're us humans because our ability to create all the things that we create have created a lot of destructive destruction and the use of resources. But she's just balancing things. You know, all the global warming, all of that is just resetting and readjusting things. And if that means that we as a species disappear because she adjusts the environment to an environment that can't sustain human life. You know, it's not that the earth is dying, it's just she's changing form into something that suits new life forms, and we're not one of the life forms that's going to be suited for. So, so that kind of pain and its projection, plain and simple, from a psychological standpoint, is really about how we personally feel violated. You know, somebody who's struggling with that and, and crying out for the earth. Um, yes, we're distressed about what's happening to the earth. But we first have to look at what are the ways that we have felt violated and how do we heal our own sense of violation? Because in healing our own sense of violation, we can be in a different relationship with the earth. And a person like that probably shouldn't be an activist because they've got so much anger and are so charged up that 
they're they're not going to act from a, a place of wisdom. But what a person like that can do is sit with a tree. Build a relationship with a tree. Find, go to some park that's nearby, preferably more like a county park or a state park that's larger and may have some niches that are a little bit more quiet and that people don't go into that much. And find really a beautiful, beautiful tree that speaks to you and spend some time sitting with that tree. And maybe learn to, um, you can pretend you are dancing the energy of the tree. So feel the energy of the tree and then stand next to the tree and move with the tree. On a windy day, imagine that you're the tree in the wind and dance with the tree or sing to the tree. Ask the tree to inspire in you notes or sounds that are how the tree would sing and sing back to the tree. And build this relationship of closeness and intimacy with this being and and just tell the tree your sorrow. Tell the tree you're sad about what's happening to the earth and ask the tree to share with you if it's willing to some energy that helps you feel peace. Ask the tree to teach you about peace. And the tree can do that for you. And far better to find that still, quiet, calm place and to find that place of joy than, you know, if you're wallowing in the suffering, at some point you're choosing that wallowing. And and if there's been a pattern of constantly going into negative thinking, that's a psychology issue that you need help with with a therapist. Um, you know, we don't have time to wallow (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I mean, plain and simple. And yet a lot of us are really suffering and we don't know what else to do. So nature is one of the most powerful healers for us. And building a relationship with nature, just having a sit spot and going out and being in the sit spot and being quiet and practicing meditation through mindfulness of your breath. Practicing fast walking, which I talked in the, about in the previous uh, sure. podcast with wide angle vision or owl vision as you walk very, very slowly through the forest or through a trail. And you will find that you quiet down and you get still inside. And we can been into all sorts of craziness in our heads and all those fears and that emotional stuff is really we're not even being in our bodies anymore we're we're completely um spinning in in uh thoughts of of catastrophe and fear and worry and pain and we can't get anything done if we're in that state but we have to choose not to be in that state you know, some people almost feel righteous about wanting to be in that suffering because they feel like it feels more real if they're in that suffering. And that's like, something they have to like, examine for themselves. I like the idea of people feeling more righteous about their right to go dance with trees. Yes. <laughs> that's a much better idea. Much, I love that. 
Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you so much for all that you've shared here today and this wisdom about how we can better relate to the spirits of nature, the spirits of the land, and our own nature, perhaps. Um, Mm -hmm. For those of you that want to connect with Anna, you can go to thehollowbone.com. Um, and then you can also find, as I said, the resources she's already shared at whyshamanismnow.com. Anna, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. So I give great gratitude to the energy of the earth below, the sky above, and all of the helping spirits that gather around us and to the hearts in the center that unite us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week. <laughs> 